0: What is up, Steeler Nation? It is your boy, also known as Lou the Glue, a.k.a. Steeler Info Jesus, back bringing you that heat like an oven door on Thanksgiving with episode 7 of the often imitated but never duplicated black and yellow cast. Hit it. Yeah. Can't forget that Wiz Khalifa black and yellow intro. So, it is a nice time to be a Steeler fan, eh? Found out we are 4-0 for the first time in my lifetime, which is astonishing. Lots of really good teams in my life. But this is the first time since 1979 that we are 4-0. and The Pirates were winning their last World Series in October of 1979. The last time the Steelers were 4-0. and And my Sharona and black Michael Jackson's don't stop till you get enough. Were are the number one songs. And yes, the Steelers went on to win the Super Bowl that year versus the L.A. Rams. So everywhere you turn, there's a stat that says the Steelers are a damn walk for that seventh Lombardi. Really no reason at this point to even play the games at all, in my extremely biased, I mean unbiased opinion. This week's episode will be a recap of that super dicey Eagles win that kept us undefeated, and a preview of the first divisional game of the year versus the mistake on the lake brownies this sunday it should be the steelers best test of the year so far with the browns having as many combined wins as the steelers previous four opponents combined and with just the usual browns knowing the steelers well as a division rival the browns are three and one in the previous four steeler opponents were a combined three fifteen and one So we definitely can't be dicking around until the mid-fourth quarter to put this team away. I hate to say it, but the Browns aren't a complete dumpster fire this year. Also, it will be the first time the Steelers will see that piece of shit Miles Garrett since that bitch-ass swung a helmet at Mason Rudolph last year. So I definitely... I'm expecting a heated game with lots of extracurricular activities in the trenches. There's just no way Marquise Pouncey doesn't give this dude a couple business poses right in the ribcage. And if Miles Garrett were to try to pull some shit on Big Ben like he did with Mason Rudolph, there's no way. This dude is leaving Heinz Field. The entire Steelers roster will be all over this motherfucker. It might be career over. You don't take your helmet off and swing it. You just don't do that. Hey, Miles, you ain't ready this weekend, all right? You better wear a couple extra pads around the ribs The only thing you're going to need Sunday night is a little bit of salt because you're going to be all peppered up. So now let's get into it, motherfuckers. First things first here, Chase fucking Claypool is a badass dude. I honestly felt like I was watching Randy Moss torch the Cowboys on Thanksgiving of What, like 98? Claypool was at that level of dominance on Sunday. Crazy to watch a strong as fuck. 6'4 beast run with that kind of speed. And I love seeing the Steelers getting him more involved because he is a matchup nightmare. He can burn you deep. He can run after the catch. Has a great fucking stiff arm can get the jump ball, tracks the deep ball extremely well, has incredible sideline awareness, just awareness overall of where to be in comparison to the DB, the safety. I mean, he was playing like a fucking veteran. And he can physically overwhelm just about any DB in the NFL with his size. The Steelers have themselves a true monster in Chase Claypool, and Ben's going to keep feeding this kid until he's on my 600-pound life from eating up too many fucking cornerbacks and safeties. Claypool finished the day with an absurd seven catches for 110 yards and four Tud babies. The final one being the Grim Reaper Tud that put the Eagles down for the fucking count. Quality, quality shit, kid. Keep it the fuck up because I fucking loved it. Now that we got that out of the way, before we hop into the game recap, I gotta talk to Facebook Inc. So last week... I tried to take out some ads on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. It was declined. They returned my fucking money because they said I was too vulgar and offensive. What the fuck are you talking about? Too fucking vulgar? You can shove that vulgar up your fucking ass. Sure, your shareholders will be real happy to hear that you're turning away a thousand dollars from a fucking dipshit who's talking Steelers football in his fucking living room. The fuck are you guys doing over there? I mean, I picked my target demographic to be 22 to 48 year old males and females. I think they can hear a couple fucks. Well, here's one. Go fuck yourself, you little Silicon Valley nerd. This is a podcast that is just fun. And if you don't want my fucking money, fuck you. But I digress as usual. Now back to Eagles versus Steelers recap. First, we're going to get into the Steelers offense versus the Eagles defense. Overall, the Steelers' offense on Sunday was straight money in the bank. The Steelers put up 38 points, which snapped a streak of 23 straight games of scoring 30 points or less. There was a five-drive stretch after the first drive. That was brought to a halt when former Steeler Javon Hargrave sacked Ben, where the Steelers went tud-tud, field goal, tud-tud, to take a commanding 31-14 to lead. The last two touchdowns were in the first five minutes of the third quarter, which, as I pointed out last week, is the quarter that the Steelers have struggled hard in over the last year, with just an average of 3.4 points per game over the previous 19 games. So those two tuds were really nice to see coming out of the half. Big Ben was money as fuck, as usual, going 27 of 34 For 239 yards and three touchdowns. His 79.5 completion percentage was the highest in the NFL this week, and he wasn't just padding completions with dump offs and easy throws. The gunslinger was primed up, just tossing dimes all over the field, whether it be into tight coverage. Or over the shoulder on the sideline where only the Steelers guy could get the ball. Ben has been absolute money so far this year. And this was his best game by far. Glad to see he is back to 100% and showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. As for the Steelers run game... It was pretty solid when you include the end around to wide receivers, which were a big part of the Steelers' game plan on Sunday and accounted for 50% of the Steelers' total 138 rushing yards. And they did it on just five carries. Between Claypool's rushing touchdown to start the scoring to special teamer Ray-Ray McLeod, who had just two carries for 63 yards, including a 58-yard sprint to set up the fourth touchdown of the game after being thrust into action following Deontay Johnson's injury. The running backs were a little suspect, though. Connor Snell and McFarland combined for 25 carries for just 69 yards. That comes out to just 2.76 yards per carry, which is horrific. And Connor had one 25-yard run, so when you take that away, it comes out to just 44 yards on 24 carries which is 1.83 yards per carry. The running game definitely needs to figure things out, even though things look okay on paper, with us being the 8th best rush offense in the NFL. Losing all-pro guard David DiCastro early in this game and for at least the next few weeks isn't going to help But the Steelers got to improve in this department if we plan on going all the way because a good run game is the antidote versus good quarterbacks because it eats clock and gives opposing teams less time to get into a groove and put up points. I think we'll be okay though. Still want to see more Snell and Tony Mack rather than Connor, but... Connor seems to be the Steelers guy. Hopefully he can pick it up a little bit more or get injured. Just kidding. The offensive line, like I said, lost their big dog in three-time All-Pro David DeCastro, which is going to hurt. But still, the unit only gave up one sack the entire game on the very first drive. Rookie fourth-round guard Kevin Dotson from Louisiana Lafayette got the call and actually played pretty well. His first action as a pro was pretty impressive, and I think the kid is going to be a stud in the future. He could potentially be DeCastro's replacement eventually if we want to free up some cap space and trade DeCastro, who would garner a lot of interest on the open market. Steelers could easily get a nice draft pick for DeCastro this spring if Dodson continues to improve and evolves into the player I think he can be. He is a big boy. Just needs to work on his technique a little bit. But... He's still young, and defensive tackles are pretty damn good in the NFL. So there, there's definitely a learning curve. The wide receivers all had decent games, and just about everyone made at least one big catch, whether it be a big first down or a touchdown. Six receivers had at least three catches, which is, again, awesome to see that Ben is getting everybody involved. Tough to stop a pass game with weapons all over. Eric Ebron had five catches, but also had a brutal, brutal fumble that could have really cost the Steelers the game, if not for the defense stepping up. The fumble gave the Eagles the ball on the Steelers' half of the field, down two with just six minutes left. And then on the very next drive, one play before Claypool put the Steelers ahead, 38-29. to had an almost identical fumble that was very luckily caught an incomplete pass, even though it was super close and on replay looked almost identical to the one that he had just minutes prior. His reaction after the second one was that he thought he blew the game, but the Steelers caught a break this time around. We were due, though, so I have no problem taking that shit. The Steelers were a solid 11-for-15 on third down and a perfect 3-for-3 in the red zone, which is great to see after having a league-worst 35% scoring percentage last year with our carousel of CFL-quality quarterbacks under center. This year already, we're scoring touchdowns in the red zone almost 100% more than last year, which is a big reason why we are currently 4-0. Gotta get those touchdowns when you're in the red zone. Field goals just are not gonna cut it when you're playing in the NFL, which is a game of inches. When you look around the NFL, most of the games are real close. One touchdown here, a field goal there, every single point matters. And you cannot be kicking field goals in the red zone. And finally, once again, the Steelers won the possession battle by a pretty healthy margin. The Steelers had the ball for 10 minutes more than the Eagles. Winning time of possession is key, especially with the defense we have. Love seeing that as always. To break it down simply, the more time we're on the field is more opportunities for us to score. And the less time the opponent is on the field is less time. For them to score. Pretty fucking simple. But it actually took me a while to figure it out. Because uh, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I'm like a motherfucking Swiss Army knife. I do fucking everything. Like you're not going to kill somebody with that knife. But I got a fucking magnifying glass. I got a fucking toothpick. I got scissors, I got a magnifying glass, I got a frickin saw, bruh. yeah, if you gotta chop down a tree, ch ch, you boys got it, oh, and let's not forget. I'll open your fucking beer for you, so yeah, I ain't the sharpest, but I got it fucking all, motherfucker. So overall, I'd give the Steelers' offense an A-minus. The Eagles really did not stand a chance versus us. The only chance they had was when the referee called back that Claypool touchdown on an offensive pass interference that clearly was not anything close to a pass interference. The cornerback guarding him just fell over. Big Ben, Ray McLeod, and Claypool were A-pluses, but the running backs being under three yards per carry combined and the Ebron fumble brought it down to an A-minus. The Eagles just absolutely had no answers for what we had and we were without our number one wide receiver Deontay Johnson or at least our former number one wide receiver heading into this game before Claypool went apeshit through the quarter mark in the season though gotta love what the offense has done hopefully they can continue to improve their weaknesses in the run game as the season progresses. And this team can really pack a fucking punch to go with their elite defense. And that is a perfect pivot to the breakdown of the Eagles' offense versus the Steelers' defense. Well, the Eagles definitely played a lot better than I was expecting. I guess they got a little jolt of confidence to their system after beating the 49ers JV squad the previous week. They uh, started the game with two straight three and outs that netted them negative three yards and were well on their way to a third three and out on third and nine on their own 26-yard line when Berg native Miles Sanders took one 74 yards to the house. That is something you are not going to see for the rest of the year. It was just a completely busted play where the offense caught us with a delayed handoff on a blitz and several Steelers missed their assignments. When you exclude the Miles Sanders 74-yard TD last week, he was held to just six yards on 10 carries. Clearly just a fluke play. Currently, the Steelers have given up 256 total rushing yards entering week 6. Take away that fluky Miles Sanders run which is almost 30% of our total rushing yards allowed this year and this is a fucking unit. At the time of that run the Steelers through 3 games had given up just a 156 rushing yards so that play was 47 percent of the total rushing yards the Steelers gave up to that point I guarantee we will not see another run that long again all year so like I alluded to earlier Other than the 74-yard rush touchdown by Miles Sanders, the Steelers held the Eagles to 15 rushes for 20 yards. Hello, hello, hello. Now that's a fucking run defense. One bad play, eh, I'll let it slide. Averaging 1.3 yards per carry on 15 carries. This is not a fucking team you want to run against. Miles Sanders, soak that shit up. Because shit like that just isn't gonna fucking happen this year. So congratulations, kid. That might be the highlight of your fucking career. And now on to the Eagles passing game. It actually wasn't that bad. Carson Wentz had the best game of the season by far, which isn't saying much because he is truly an average quarterback. He went 20 of 35 for 258 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. The one coming on the very last drive of the game when the game was already over. But he he did pretty well. He he was he was making throws. And this special teamer that was cut three times this year, once by the Eagles themselves, freaking torched us, Travis Fulgham. Straight up having the game of his life with 10 receptions for 152 yards and one touchdown. This dude was everywhere all game long and nobody in our secondary could stop this dude. He was just straight torching our secondary. So that is a little bit worrisome. He was burning guys like Steve Nels, Mike Hilton. I mean, that is inexcusable. I'll let the Miles Sanders touchdown slide because, you know, sometimes you get caught in a blitz and a running back hits the second level and then boom. He's juking out one DB. It happens occasionally. But to let a dude from Old Dominion, who was cut three times this year, put up those kind of fucking numbers on you, that's inexcusable. I hope Stevie Nelson and Mike Hilton are fucking beating themselves up right now. Because, I'll tell you what, Travis Fulgham is nothing Compared to Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. But Carson Wentz rallied after the Steelers took a 31-14 lead. Got the team back within two points. After a really, really, really bad offensive pass interference call on Chase Claypool. Brought back a touchdown. Carson Wentz had an opportunity to take his team down the field and set them up for a game-winning field goal. He got them to the 39-yard line, and Doug Peterson ignorantly decided to bring out the kicker at Hines Field for a 57-yarder, where kickers just do not hit long field goals. The longest field goal ever at Hines Field is 53 yards. And it's only happened twice. I think there's only like 10 field goals of 50 yards or longer in the history of Heinz Field. Which is now like 19 years. So Dougie Pete, I don't know what the fuck you were thinking there. You should have punted it deep or just went for it. Because the dude's not making a 57 yarder at Heinz Field. That missed field goal gave the Steelers really good field position. And then Chase Claypool said, Suck my dick, Philly. Kind of like when Georgie Wash was like, Fuck this spot for the U.S. Capitol. We gotta move down the river. This place fucking stinks. And that's why the Capitol is Washington, D.C. Because Philadelphia fucking sucks. But overall, there were definitely some things that concerned me watching our secondary play. But, I don't know. I still have faith in them. I really want to see Minka get more involved. Having Terrell Edmonds on the other side of the field is just a fucking killer. I mean, Terrell Edmonds has 23 targets against him. Which is second in the NFL. And he's allowed... 15 receptions. Also, second in the NFL. This dude is just not working out at all. At this point, I might consider benching him. It's, it's gotten to that point. We drafted him in 2018 and he has started two full seasons now. When the fuck is this dude gonna start playing some goddamn football? Because I have yet to see anything in the way of pass coverage from this kid. He is a decent run defender, but when it comes to coverage, he is shitty. Like, Really, really, really shitty. And his lack of abilities are hurting Minka. If we had a legit strong safety, or even just a league average strong safety, next to Minka Fitzpatrick, the whole defense would benefit tremendously. Because they could not just pick on one side of the field like they've been doing. Terrell Edmonds, dude, it is now put-up-or-shut-the-fuck-up time because if I were the coach, you'd already be on the bench. I've had about enough of your shit. Overall, I'd give the defense probably a C. I mean, they were able to get five sacks. They were able to hold the Eagles' rush game to just 20 yards on 15 carries after the Miles Sanders tutty. They got two interceptions, and over the Eagles' final two drives, they made some really big plays, which, again, is a trend. This defense has come up pretty fucking big in winning time. Like, the last five minutes of every game, they're pulling shit out of their ass and just putting teams to sleep. The defense definitely didn't play their best game, but they're capable of being great. I see it. We have the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL in Tyson Alualu, The number 8 interior defensive lineman in Stephon Tuitt. The number 11 interior defensive lineman in Cameron Hayward. The number 1 edge defender in T.J. Watt. All of our secondary rates pretty damn fucking good. This team is better than it played on Sunday. So hopefully they got that shitty little game out of their system and come out hot this Sunday versus the Browns. So now for the Steelers versus the mistake on the Lake Browns preview. First, we're going to start with the Steelers defense versus the Browns offense. The Browns have the 13th ranked offense. They have the 29th ranked pass offense with some really solid weapons on the outside when healthy, but currently they aren't. Odell Beckham is feeling under the weather currently, was sent home from practice Thursday as a COVID precaution. Jarvis Landry hasn't practiced at all with an injury to his hips and ribs, and Baker Mayfield has a rib injury. Odell Beckham has a chance to play because so far his tests have all been negative for COVID-19, but I don't see Jarvis Landry playing. It's looking like the Browns wide receiver core is going to be at like 50%. Also, Baker Mayfield's rib injury is going to be a major factor in the game. I've had bruised ribs before and brushing your teeth fucking hurts when you have bruised ribs following through on a 40-yard touchdown pass with tj watt to it a alu crashing in on you is going to be brutal when asked about playing through his rib injury baker said mama didn't raise no wuss But that's a lot easier to say with a mic in your face instead of Cam fucking Hayward. I'm expecting some turnovers from Baker, for sure. Because if he starts flinching rather than following through on passes, there's going to be some bad, bad throws, which will give the defense some serious opportunity. Plus, the Steelers get more pressure than any team in the league. So Baker will 100% be hit hard on Sunday. The Steelers get more pressure than any team in the league. So Baker will 100% be hit hard on Sunday. Better double that dosage of Toradol, Mr. Non-Wuss, because you're fucked, kid. The Steelers' secondary has struggled at times this year. Example practice squad, Travis Fulgham, blah blah blah, which is why the Steelers are the 15th best pass defense, but with all the injuries the Browns are dealing with on offense, I think this is going to be a good week for the Steelers secondary. One thing I'd watch with us most likely game planning to beat the fuck out of Baker's ribcage by blitzing nonstop is the Browns will likely want to get the ball out of Baker's hands very quick by running screen. That's what I think could hurt us this week. Overall, though, with the Steelers having the best defensive line in the NFL, the Steelers' pressure on Baker is going to be the key to this overall Steelers defense versus Browns offense matchup. If we get to Baker and rattle him early, this is a win. Plus, the Browns haven't won at Heinz Field since 2003. The iPod just got released the last time the Browns won here. I give advantage Steelers. (laughs) If Browns were 100%, I'd say it'd be a little bit closer, but in their current condition, it's a clear advantage for the 2020 Steel Curtain. Now, the Steelers' rush defense versus The Browns' rush offense. The Steelers have the third-ranked rush defense, but if you take away that Miles Sanders 74-yard touchdown, we are by far the best run defense. The Browns have the number one rush offense, but will be without their bell cow running back Nick Chubb for probably another month due to an MCL injury. Chubb had 335 yards through three and one-third games this year at a 5.9 yards per carry clip and four touchdowns. So it's a pretty big loss for them. Nick Chubb was actually the NFL rushing champ for most of last season, and then in typical Browns fashion got passed up in the very last seconds of Week 17. Whew, I love that. Kareem Hunt's a solid backup, though, who is still very dangerous to women. As for his on-the-field, non-chick-beating skill set, he's a pretty decent three-down running back. So far this year, he has 70 rushes for 347 yards, which comes out to five yards per carry. He has three touchdowns. He's also a really good blocker, which is extremely valuable. Especially versus the Steelers because I expect us to be bringing from all over tomorrow. So Kareem Hunt can pick up a blitzing linebacker pretty well. He is also pretty slippery out of the backfield as a wide receiver. When he was in KC, he was just a monster. Getting stuck behind Nick Chubb is probably just karma from him beating up that chick, but... He is a legitimate number one running back that just happens to be on a team with a better running back. Kareem Hunt is really good, but the Steelers have faced Saquon Barkley, Melvin Gordon, and other than just one play, running backs have done absolutely nothing versus this team. So I definitely don't expect Kareem Hunt to turn into fucking Jim Brown on Sunday and torch us for like 210 yards or something. Kareem Hunt was also on the Browns injury report all week, so he's not at 100% with a bruised thigh. It's pretty tough to hit the hole and make good cuts with a bruised thigh. Overall, I think the Steelers have the edge on both offense and defense. An injured Baker Mayfield is not going to get it done against the Steelers' front seven. The dude is going to be in so much pain the moment one of our guys gets their hands on him. From that point on, Baker's just going to be thinking, I do not want to get fucking hit again. He's not going to be thinking about, oh, okay, Beckham is going out and his mind is going to be on ribcage fucking hurt. Bad. I expect flinch galore. And my prediction for the game is Steelers 33, Browns 20. Currently, Vegas has the Steelers as Three and a half point favorites, which I think is just ridiculous. I would take that all day long. I also love the Steelers to just win the game straight up, aka Money Line, where you have to put up a hundred and eighty dollars to win a hundred. I think the Steelers are going to beat the Browns tomorrow. Yeah, I'm totally biased, but the Browns have some significant injuries all over the field. First, you got Nick Chubb out of the game. Baker Mayfield injured ribs. Their starting strong safety, Carl Joseph, is out with a hamstring. Jarvis Landry is questionable as fuck with an injury to his hips and ribs. Sheldon Richardson is not at a hundred percent. Their starting left guard, Wyatt Teller's out. Olivier Vernon has a groin injury and was limited all week. Larry Ogan Joby, their D tackle was limited all week too. And also their linebacker Jacob Phillips out with a knee. This is a team that is missing some significant players this week. And if they're not missing, they're not at a hundred percent. The Steelers do indeed have some injuries of their own with Deontay Johnson and David DeCastro, but With the depth the Steelers have at wide receiver, I do not see us missing Deontay that much. And I do think Dotson is up for the challenge this week after getting a little playing time last week. He should be better. So I don't know about you guys, but I am fucking pumped up for this one. I always love AFC North matchups. It is the best division in football. And with the Miles Garrett factor on top of it, these teams are really going to be going after each other tomorrow. Plus, the Browns are actually in contention for the first time in a long time. It is going to be a really, really good game. I expect the Steelers to come out on top, but... It is going to be a fucking awesome game to watch. Plus, all of Cleveland has their hopes up. So it's going to be a little extra fun to just rip their hearts out. After getting their hopes up through five games. So that wraps up episode seven of the Black and Yellow Cast. I apologize for it being a little late this week, but... The weather was fucking awesome, and I'm a golfer, so I'd much rather be out on the golf course than making a podcast. Hate to break it to you guys. Love doing this, but when it comes down to it, I'm going to be out on the golf course rather than inside. As always, people, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If it's too fucking vulgar, I do apologize to you. Not Facebook. Fuck you, Facebook. But before I go, I'm going to leave you with a couple bets that I think are absolute locks this week. First, we got Kareem Hunt under 64.5 rushing yards. I would say that is all but a lock. I definitely also house Steelers money line. Yeah, you got to put up 180 to win 100, but I think it's an absolute lock. Yeah, you could roll the dice and hope the Steelers win by more than a field goal, but I'd rather just bank on the Steelers winning and pay a little extra. Because the only way I see the Browns beating the Steelers tomorrow is if the Steelers just turn the ball over like three or four times i really like the steelers in this game and the one non steeler related bet that i'm taking this week is the san francisco 49ers as three-point underdogs at home against the la rams san fran had a really bad week last week against the dolphins but they're healthy now, and I always love a home underdog. So that's a pretty solid bet. You can also bet Chase Claypool to score a touchdown anytime for 100 to win 100. Eric Ebron to score a touchdown anytime for 100 to win 190. Another one I like is Chase Claypool to score and the Steelers to win. For 100 to win 125 bucks. So hopefully you guys can win some money. But as always people. Thank you for tuning in. And remember people. Keep your Fioris and your Permanis hot. And your Yinglings ice cold. Peace. I'll see you next week Steeler Nation.